Well, today is Vision Sunday. Glad you're here. Great to be with you this morning. And uh, the theme for today is each one reach one. And to set things up, I want to begin by kind of going back some in my own journey uh, from a year ago. Uh, many of you know that uh, nine years ago, I was, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I had surgery to remove my prostate after that. Uh, and I've uh, been getting my blood work taken ever since then. My PSA kept going up little by little. And this is a little commercial announcement to all the guys in the room. If you're 50 and you haven't had your PSA checked, get it checked. Your doctor may push back because I know that's what doctors sometimes do and say, well, that's not really an accurate thing. But you know what? It's what determined that I had prostate cancer. It is one of the indicators that guys need to be aware of. And if you're 50 and you haven't had your PSA, uh, if you need somebody to go with you to get your blood drawn, I will go with you. All right. It's an important thing to do. Uh, so you get, uh, you get it, right? I uh, went through this really dark time in my life uh, nine years ago because of the prostate cancer. Had my prostate removed. Doctor said I'm cancer-free. My blood work continued to be taken. And in that ensuing uh, years, my blood work kept creeping up to where a year ago my surgeon said, I think you'd be a good candidate for radiation therapy because your PSA is going up. And that essentially means that there were some cancer cells that were left from the surgery that didn't make it out. And so this is the way to deal with that. So I started radiation a year ago in September, eight weeks, uh, five days a week radiation. And about halfway through, I began to develop a complication. The complication is a very personal thing. Uh, it was not a fun thing. It was a very painful thing. Uh, and as a result of that complication, after my radiation was done, I had to have surgery to repair it. I've chronicled it for many of you. You've already heard all this. You're like, oh, now that's old news, Frank. I've heard that story before. But some haven't, and uh, it kind of helps me get to the point where I'm trying to get today, and that is to talk about the darkness that I was in uh, back in December and January and February because I was in so much pain that I was, uh, at first, just whining about the pain because that's what you do when you've got pain. You whine about it, right? And uh, as time went by, I began to be debilitated by the pain. Uh, it, it began to rob me of my life. And I got to the point where I'm laying in bed there and, and, and thinking, man, I think my life is done. I think I'm over. Uh, because I just didn't know how I was going to ever escape out of this pain. Didn't know how I was going to ever get to survive. How am I going to go on to get through this pain that I'm dealing with? And, and maybe you've heard me say before, it was kind of a good news, bad news thing, right from the doctor. The doctor says, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is you're going to live. The bad news is you're going to live, right? And I'm like, I don't want to live. I'm, I'm ready to go. Let me get out of here because I feel like I'm getting ready to die. It was a horrible time for me. And it was exacerbated by the fact that at the same time that I was going through that, Chrissy was diagnosed with kidney cancer. Two weeks after I had my surgery, she had surgery on her kidney. And we were quite the pair in bed, right? Because we were whining and complaining and moaning about everything. And when I said we were quite the pair in bed, some of your brains went to other places, but I just got to get you back to the right place, right? We were, we were agonizing because it was so hard and so challenging and so heartbreaking for us. And I began to wonder what in the world is going on, God. Just take me, would you please? And in that time, I've said it before. I shared it with you before, and I preached about it after I got back out of being gone for a couple months, that uh, I was convicted by Romans 8.28 again, right? Romans 8.28 says that, that we are called according to God, that, that everyone lo everybody who loves Jesus Christ 
Well, it is called according to his purposes that, that all things work together for good. Pardon me while I mess up that scripture passage. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That's what it was. Brain started working again there, okay? So Romans 8, 28, right? I know it's a lot of your, one, many of your life verses, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. And, and, and my painful experience, God used that. Let me be clear. I don't believe that God designed me or wanted me to have prostate cancer or wanted me to have it again or wanted me to have this other surgery that I had. But the amazing thing about God is, is that God takes whatever circumstances we've got and uses them to, to grow us up, to, to make us stronger, to make us better as we go forward in our lives. And so Romans 8.28 became a really passionate place for me about saying, okay, God, uh, I, I want to do your work. I want to do your will because I, you're carrying me through this thing. And as I began to feel like maybe my life wasn't going to end, maybe there was something for me going ahead, I began to realize that there were things in me that had to change and there were things in Lighthouse that had to change. And today marks the day when that change officially begins to take place. Today on Vision Sunday, when changes in me and changes at Lighthouse officially begin to take place because of the conviction that I have in my heart about where God is taking us. And for today's passage, I want to invite you to follow along with me in Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. You've heard it before, many of you likely, uh, but this was a story that kept bubbling up in my own pain time as I was recovering from my surgery as well. Mark 12 Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Now, I want to invite you to get into this passage with me for a little bit. And I want to invite you to think about those four guys that carried their friend on the mat and about, think about the conversation that they had to have had before they carried the man to the, to the place where Jesus was that somebody in that group of four uh, said to another buddy in that group of four, hey, why don't we take the, the, this friend of ours, we'll call him John, the paralyzed man, let's take John to, to see Jesus. Because they believed that maybe Jesus could do something for him, right? 
They loved their friend. They cared about their friend. And they said, hey, if we could just get him to Jesus, they heard a lot about him. We don't know because the scriptures don't tell us that whether or not they had a lot of experience or any experience with Jesus personally at all. But they knew all the things that people were saying about Jesus. This guy is healing people. People who couldn't see are now able to see. These people who couldn't walk are now able to walk. Somebody got raised from the dead. How does that happen? And because they loved John, they said to each other, these two guys, let's say, say, hey, why don't we go get a couple of other friends and let's take them to see Jesus. And so they went to the other friends and they convinced them. They all jumped in. They said, hey, let's go. Let's take this guy to Jesus. And so they get him on his mat, kind of a stretcher. You get it, right? The guy couldn't walk. And they carry him to the house where they know Jesus is. And they get close to the house and they, they look and they're looking down the street and the street is just packed with people. I mean, it's jam-packed with people. It is a crowd of crowds. And they know where the house is. They can see the house, but they're thinking to themselves, there's no way that we're ever going to get Jesus in there. How in the world is that ever going to happen? They, they set John down. They begin to look. They're, they're futile. This isn't going to work. How are we going to go forward? And, and, and some, of, some of them, they begin to talk, and one of them says, well, Let's see, maybe if we waited a little bit later in the day, maybe the crowds will thin out. And, and they're like, well, okay, yeah, maybe that'll, maybe that'll happen. Maybe when people start getting tired, they'll go home, and that'll lighten the crowd up, and, and, and maybe we can get them in there. But, but one of them says, well, what if Jesus goes to sleep? Do we go in and wake Jesus up? And if we wake Jesus up, does he have the power when he's just been sleeping to, to heal somebody then too? Well, I don't know. And, and one of them says, well, you know, what if we bribed some of the people that are here? What if we gave them some money to get us through the crowds to get in there? And they're like going, oh, man, I, don't, I, I got a, a couple pennies is all I've got. It's not going to go very far. And one of them, scratching his head, looking at the scene, looking at the house, goes, you know, it might be just as simple for us to just get up on the roof and take him down that way. And they all laughed. Ha, ha, ha. What a preposterous idea that would be. To get this guy up on the roof, yeah, are you kidding me? And the more they stood there and the more they looked at the crowd and the more they began to think about their options, they realized, hey, maybe that's not a bad option. And somebody spoke up and said, hey, let's do it. So they did. They went and found some kind of a ladder, right? And, and, and they got a ladder. And, and can you get it in your mind's eye? Can you get a picture of these guys with these ladders? No, they didn't have nice ladders like these. But they were so convicted about how important it was to get John to see Jesus that they climbed the ladder and they got up on the roof. And, and when they got up on the roof, they, they worked together. They had maybe a couple ladders. I don't know. And they got on the ladders and they pulled the guy up and, he, and they kept going up and they kept going up and they got them all to the top of the roof and they dug a, literally a hole in the roof. Now, you understand a roof back then wasn't like a roof that you have on your house. It was a different kind of a roof. It was a roof that that was made of, of essentially thatch, right? Some adobe, some mud, and some leaves, and some brush, that kind of thing. And it wasn't too difficult to dig through that. It could, be, could happen. So they got up, and they dug a hole, and they lowered the guy down right in front of Jesus. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that house, and all of a sudden the mud starts dropping down from the ceiling? People are going, oh, man, what's going on here? Can you imagine the, the owner of the house thinking, what the heck is happening to my house? What are they doing to my house? 
And then this amazing thing happens. The ceiling opens up, and this guy that everybody recognizes, hey, there's the paralyzed guy. He's been lowered down, and he's right in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at the guy, and he looks at his friends, and he says, your faith, he says to the friends, your faith has made him whole. Your faith has healed him. And what does it say? The guy jumped up. A paralyzed man. Imagine that. If you're sitting there, and a guy that you know is paralyzed, but has been paralyzed his whole life, he jumps up. He doesn't stand up. It says he jumped up. He sprung to his feet. What an amazing miracle that was. And then he walked out, and it says everybody was amazed. Well, no, duh. Everybody was amazed. What an incredible scene this unfolded. It says, Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. So let's look at a couple of teaching points for us from this story. The first one is they loved their friend. The men loved their friend. Let's call him John, right? The men loved their friend. That's one of the teachings from this passage is that these guys loved John, their friend. They had to love him in order to go to all that trouble. The second teaching that comes is that they began to think unconventionally. And I would say to you, they began to think unconventionally like a firefighter does. We have some firefighters in our congregation here. I'm not a firefighter, but I know something about that. And, and, and you know, I know that what a firefighter does, if they know that somebody's in the house, they're going to do everything they can to get in that house and get that person out. And that means they got to think unconventionally. Those four men loved their friend John, and they began to think unconventionally about how they could get him to Jesus. How do we do that? And the third thing that those men teach us is they had hope in Jesus. As I mentioned already, we don't really know whether or not they actually knew Jesus at all. They may have seen Jesus. They may have heard about him. Obviously, they've heard about him, but they, we don't know that they ever had any personal encounter with him, but they had hope. They hoped that this guy could do something for their friend, John. Think about it this way. Someone's life was changed that day because these guys loved their friend. They thought unconventionally, and they put their hope in Jesus. They just wanted to get him in front of Jesus, and they trusted that if there was something that was going to happen, Jesus would do it. Someone's life was changed because they thought differently and put their hope in Jesus. Now, think about the paralyzed man for a moment. Think about when they showed up to his door on that day and said, hey, John, we're going to take you to see Jesus. Now, John surely heard about Jesus, too, and surely something inside him would have gotten excited. Hey, maybe because he's thinking, hey, maybe this guy could do something for me, too. But don't you know that this paralyzed man, you know, if it was me, I'm, I'm probably going to say, oh, no, that's too much trouble. You guys don't do that. You gotta, you gotta, you're going to carry me all the way over there to, to that house? That's a long ways away. How are you going to get me there? Uh, that's a lot of trouble. I'm used to my condition. Leave me alone. At least it had been part of what was going through that man's life. But the paralyzed man had to swallow his pride. He had to get humble. And in his humility, he allowed them to carry him to Jesus. Because of his humility and the faith of his friends, the man was healed. Humility led to a life changed by Jesus. 
Now, this was another passage that kept resurfacing in my life when I was going through my dark time. Back in end of December, January, and part of February, I had the surgery the second week of January. Chrissy had her surgery two weeks later. But this passage from Mark 2 was one that kept coming back up to me in, 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 in devotional time, in reading time. Chris and I spent a lot of time in bed, right? Uh, I've mentioned that already. Uh, and, and, and there was a lot of reading that, had, that we did, and we watched TV, that kind of thing. But this passage from Mark 2 kept coming up. And I think that it kept coming up because I was a paralytic at that time. I was incapacitated at that time. I felt like life was hopeless at that time. And one morning, I had a dream. And it was a dream that I had right before I woke up. I was in my recovery phase. I was starting to feel like, hey, maybe I'm going to live. Maybe it's going to be okay. Uh, And I began to have some daydreams about what my life would be like as I continue to recover And one of the things that I began to daydream about was going for a hamburger. Because Chrissy and I were not not engaged in, in, you know, running through Whataburger. I know that's kind of sacrilegious to say, but, but, uh, you know, I was really, we were both really tuned into our diet and eating as as healthily as we could. And I got to say, probably the most healthy eating that I've ever done in my life was after this all happened. And one of the things that I daydreamed regularly about was having a hamburger. I can't wait for a hamburger. So I had a dream. And in the dream, I uh, was going for my first hamburger after my recovery. And I had pulled out my phone, and I had looked on the Internet to find the 10 best hamburger spots in Fort Worth. And I wanted to go to a, uh, a food truck because I knew the food truck probably would have one of the greatest hamburgers. And I wanted the biggest Juiciest, cheeseburgerish, baconish, blue cheeseish, onions, everything on it, kind of a hamburger. I mean, I'm talking about a mountain hamburger like this. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Frank, if you eat that, you probably will die because of what it will do to your system. But nevertheless, I wanted that hamburger, and I got to the food truck, and that's the hamburger that I ordered, and of course, with a mound of fries. And I went back and found a picnic table to sit, sit on while I was waiting for my order, And when my order was ready, a voice from the food truck said, Frank, right? That's what they do. They call out your name, Frank. And I'm like, okay, it's ready. But when I heard my name called, it was a voice that I recognized, but I couldn't place it. I, I know that voice, but I couldn't place it. So I walked back up to the food truck, and I bent down a little bit. You know, like you do, you get the food truck, and it's got a little window there, and I bent down a little bit. And, and, and to get my food, and this guy behind the counter there pushed that big old burger and fries toward me, and man, I, was, I, I think I was probably drooling on the counter right then. And I looked at the guy, and I realized why I had familiarity in me about the way my name was called, because when I looked at the guy who pushed the hamburger to me, it was Jesus. Jesus was the one that was giving me the hamburger and fries. And I'm like, wow, how cool is this? Jesus is giving me a hamburger and fries. How great is that? And, and as Jesus pushed the hamburger to me, he looked at me with those eyes of love, and he said, Frank, I wish you had as deep a hunger for me as you do for this hamburger. And man, I woke up. 
because my dream just turned into a nightmare right there. Well, what if it was you at that food truck and Jesus said that to you? How would it impact you? What would Jesus say to you about what you hunger for, what you're thirsty for? So out of my paralyzed time, I became convicted that I had to change. Things in me had to change, and things in this church had to change too. In May, I sent a six-page document out to our leadership, inviting them to think about the vision of our church. It was a very detailed document. In the past, I, on vision weekends, I've, I've labored long trying to get all this vision stuff together, but it's been too complex. And from the coaching that I got from our leadership and through prayer time, I, I began to realize things got to be narrowed down some. So today, the first thing that I want to say about the future of our church, the first thing about the vision that I would say is, is to say that slogan that hopefully you know by now, which is every person matters. One of the things that our church is founded on is this concept that everybody matters to God. If everybody matters to God, then we sh they should matter to us as well. We should care about every single person that we meet. Doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what they wear, doesn't matter where they're from, doesn't matter what side of the tracks they come from, we should care about every single individual that we encounter every single day. Every person matters. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 says that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It doesn't say God wants a few to come to the knowledge of the truth, or some, or many. It says all. God wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. And maybe you've heard me say that in all the Bible, my favorite chapter in all the Bible is Luke 15. In Luke 15, uh, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And he says, very intentionally, he says that, that God loves the lost like this, that the woman searched the house for the one coin she lost. The shepherd searched far and wide for the one he left the 99. The, the, the son abandoned his family and was lost and then returned. This is what Jesus was trying to say. God loves the lost this much that he will overturn everything that's possible to try to reach that one. How do you feel about lost people? Lost people being people that don't know Jesus as their Savior. How do you feel about them? The Bible doesn't teach that everybody goes to heaven. It doesn't teach that. Let's be clear. The Bible does not say everybody goes to heaven. The Bible says the people that go to heaven are the people who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All roads do not lead to heaven, friends. There's a lot of rhetoric in our society that says, well, it doesn't matter what religion you are. No, I don't want to be religion. I want to be in a relationship with Jesus because Jesus is the one who gets me to heaven. So we must become like these men who saved John's life, essentially. We must become firefighters, people who love the lost, people who think unconventionally and with humility put their hope in Jesus. Those four men illustrate the truth behind this new statement for our church. Going forward, this new statement is each one reach one. If every person matters, 
then we need to get on the ladder of our lives and be involved in reaching one every single day, planting seeds every, every day to reach one. It's born out of our mission statement. Our mission statement is based on Matthew 28, in which Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Our mission statement says, to make Christ followers who change the world. Read it with me. To make Christ followers who change the world. It's supported by our why statement, which is why the church exists. Let's look at that. Read that with me. Everyone has a God-shaped hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. That's why the church exists. That's why we are here, because the only filling that can fill that emptiness inside is the person of Jesus Christ. So one of our new statements, the emphasis for this school year going forward, because our church is based on the school year calendar, is that each one should reach one, like these men. We should all be invested in being unconventional thinkers to do unconventional things to help people find Jesus, to get people closer to Jesus. Now, there are many ways to help people get closer to Jesus. Uh, the, apostle, the, the apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, uh, he said, I planted and Apollos, who was another missionary, watered, but God made it grow. In other words, Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, he's saying to us as well today, look, uh, we are to be in the business of planting the seed of faith in people and watering that, but, but God is the one who makes it grow. You and I need to take ourselves out of the equation of being responsible for someone's salvation. That's not our job. Our job is to plant the seed, and then God will make it grow. Our job is to water it, and then God will make it grow. So in order to help it make it a little simpler for you and for me about how do I get involved in this kind of activity, we're launching a new a new ministry, uh, and I'm going to ask Paul Lindsay to come up right now and talk to us about it. It's called New Neighborhood, New Neighbor Welcome Boxes. Paul and his wife Lynn are members of our church family, and uh, Pastor Dan asked Paul to, and a, a team of folks to get together and kind of help with this ministry. Paul, so glad you're here this morning. Thank you for being here. Tell us about this uh, new ministry that sure. we're launching. So I, I received an email from Dan, like several of you did, and was invited to a meeting to discuss a new ministry and an outreach program, and I thought, sure, I'll, I'll attend and see, what, see how I can help and what I can do. And as I was sitting in the meeting, I was running a little late, uh, I get in there, and I, I see this little box, and I'm looking at it, and then Dan starts explaining it, and, and I'm thinking, this is brilliant. It's so simple, and, and we can all participate in it. It takes very little time, and it's about planting those seeds that, that Frank is discussing, and and when we do this, we're not going to ask you to do witnessing. Frank's going to water it. You're going to plant the seed. It'll sprout. Frank can water it. So the way it's going to work is like this. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, uh, a station out here. And it's going to have several computers. And what you're going to do is you're going to come up after service, and there will be gift boxes ready to go. And you're simply going to tell someone working there what your address is. And they'll input it in, into the, uh, the database. It'll pop up several addresses near you of people that are new to the area. Now, these are, these are new, new uh, hookups, right? New, new residents, new households, new hookups for water, for gas, for electric, things like that. So um, rest assured it's going to be people new to the area or at least into their first home, things like that. And one of the things that we found that I wasn't aware of is that, and we know the area is growing greatly, 
But there are several hundred people that move to this area on a monthly basis. So there are many people we can reach and continue to reach on a monthly basis. Um, but what we'll do is you'll, you'll take the gift box. It'll be for someone who lives near you on your way home. And you'll simply deliver the gift box. And there's really five easy little things to remember. And it's going to be it's, it's something like this. One is your name. So you have to remember your name in order to do this. remember your name. Okay. You're qualified if you can remember your name. That's the key. All right. Two is going to be, and this is a really difficult one, where you attend church. Okay. So they got to know their name. Name and, and church. And where church. Okay. You guys okay. ought to be able to get that one too. We'll all right. Through, we'll go through all five points and I'll string it together for you to show you how simple this is. The third one is actually the most difficult. And it is actually what you're going to say to the people in the household if they answer the door, which hopefully they will. And it's going to go something like this. On behalf of Lighthouse Fellowship, I would like to give you this welcome box that contains several items that we think you'll find useful for your new home. That's it. Put it in your own words, but that's it. The fourth thing is, we would love to have you visit at some point in time. And the fifth thing is, have a blessed day. And that is simply it. That's all you have to do. Wow. Pretty simple. you got to remember your name. There you go. Remember where your church is. You got to give them the box and and make it a welcoming kind of a thing, right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. That's so, so fantastic. I'll string it together for you really quick, and I'll just do it as right, I'm Paul Lindsay. I attend Lighthouse Fellowship, which is a church near here. I'd like you to have this welcome box. It contains several items that I hope you'll find useful in your new home. I'd love to have you attend sometime. It'd be great if you could visit with this. Have a blessed day. And that's it. The seed is planted. That's all you have to do. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now think about this. Uh, because part of what Dan's research showed is that there are churches that are doing this kind of ministry around and, and that, by and large, this ministry has changed the life of those churches because, simply because of these little boxes, just gifts of love, planting seeds into the life of the community. Paul, this is so fantastic. We're so excited. Yeah, very excited for it. So out the doors, when we launch after it? Service, after service, out the doors, we'll have some volunteers. We'll be looking for some more volunteers. It won't be a big-time commitment. It will simply be manning a terminal for... 10 to 15 minutes after a service. Um, we're not going to ask anyone to work all three services, just after yours. Again, minimal commitment, minimal computer skills, not, not a problem. Fantastic. I, I want to express appreciation to Paul for coming up. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so very much. It's awesome. So part of this vision conversation uh, with our leadership in, includes, as I mentioned already, narrowing our focus. Because sometimes Lighthouse is so busy that there's so much going on that there's too much happening, and we're, we're spread too thin. We, we'd like to be a church for everyone, but the truth of the matter is there is no church like that. There is not a church for everybody. That's why there are so many churches out there, because people have different tastes, different likes. They feel called by God in different places to go different directions. So there are many things that we can do, but we want to do the things that are the best things that we can do, so we want to narrow our focus. So I want to today to outline six things that are a part of our strategic focus, which are things that we will continue to be invested in as we go forward. The first one is kids. Who doesn't love kids? Don't raise your hand, all right? <laughs> first one is about kids. It's about saying, hey, I love kids. We care about kids. We've got to care about kids. One of the things that we learned in our research with our Joel team over several years is that if churches are not committed to absolutely investing in kids' ministry, the church will die. 
And that's why, friends, that's why we had our Future Forward campaign. That's why we raised, why we raised all this money. Part of that money got spent on redoing the, the children's area, the entrance area, simply because we know that that is something that attracts parents and kids, helps them know that we care about them. When you walk in any place and you feel like you're wanted there, that, that it makes you at least start to think, well, maybe I could come back. The appeal of well, how you're greeted makes all the difference in the world. The appeal of what's around there makes a huge difference. So kids is, is got to be one of our focus places. And Nancy Danielson, our children's director, does such a tremendous job of leading this ministry. Part of the reason this is important for us today is to be aware that, that that's, this emphasis on children is, is part of why we hired Angie Jarek. And you met her last week. Uh, if you weren't here, here's a picture of she and her husband, Jason. Angie is now our part-time assistant children's director. And she and Nancy are partnering together along with the team that Nancy has already got in place to help make our kids' uh, activities a place of excitement and growth. We are exploring lots of opportunities right now for our children. A second place of focus is in our students' Uh, another key for us that we learned is we've got to have a strong uh, student ministry. And student means, uh, you know, like from sixth grade up to 12th grade, right? You get that? That's uh, Garrett Gottlob's domain. Uh, Garrett, our new youth director, is amazing and wonderful. And yes, praise God for Garrett. Uh, I one of the things that I know about our children's ministry and our student ministry is that when you look at the numbers, when you just look at the, the raw numbers about how many people are involved, how many kids are involved, how many students are involved, the numbers are both going like this. They're going the right direction. And Garrett is a gift to us. Uh, and we are so excited. I'm so very excited to have Garrett here and his beautiful wife, Christina. What a blessing they are to our church family. Can I get an Amen. Uh, one of the uh, things that you did with Future Forward Money is you are in the process of renovating the youth room. Now, you may not be aware of this, but the youth room is right there. It's right behind that wall. If you go out these doors and turn right, you'll see a big sign down there that says, Youth, go down and poke your head in there and see the progress of what's going on in the youth room. It's amazing the transformation that is happening in there. It's very exciting. A third place that we will maintain focuses in missions. Missions. Who can argue with missions, right? Missions. We're talking about local missions. We're talking about state missions. We're talking about national missions. We're talking about international missions. Our missions directors, we have a, a co-team, is Jack Speck and Michelle Caton. Michelle's over here. Stand up. Michelle, would you please? Everybody say hi, Michelle. Uh, Michelle and Jack uh, work partnering together for the mission efforts of our church. We will be, uh, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there is almost every single week some kind of activity that people from Lighthouse are doing in the community to love on people, to help people, to, to provide for people. Things that you never hear about, it's happening every single week because of you and because of what's going on. It's coordinated by our mission team. We will have uh, continued efforts in Orange, Texas that were devastated by Hurricane Harvey. We will continue to go to Casa Hogar in Mexico. We will continue to go to Maua in uh, Kenya. Uh, there will be mission trips to Orange and Kenya and Casa Hogar next year that we would love for you to be a part of. So missions is number three. Number four is life groups. A life group is a small group. The Bible says that Essentially, the main reason that the church exploded 
in its early days was because people were doing life together, because they were concerned about each other, because they were connected to each other. They were in a life group where they did life together. We must not be a church with life groups. We must become a church of life groups. Whether it's a Bible study that you're involved in, whether it's some kind of a women's group or a men's group, these are studies, these are activities where you learn to do life together. Everybody ought to be connected in a life group. The next one is next steps. Next steps are critical because it takes seriously that I need to grow as a Christian. I need to get connected to God. I need to get connected to the church. I need to learn how to grow. I need to learn how to serve and share my faith. Do you know what your next step is? Are you investing and taking a next step in your own faith development? Part of what is coming up is an effort to... to, uh, I'm going to be preaching on prayer in a couple of weeks, and we do a series on prayer. And out of that, we're going to be starting to have some prayer meetings after the first of the year, and we're going to be doing it uh, through Facebook, and we're going to be doing it on li- live through our live stream, trying to use some new and adventurous, unconventional ways to help people get connected and involved. And then the last one is worship. And, and worship is about learning to worship every single day, 24-7, 365. Worship is, is, yes, it's about Sunday mornings, but it's about way more than that. Worship is not just about Sunday mornings. It's about how you live your life every single day. We ought to be living for Jesus every single day, 24-7. We'll be exploring in this year other options for worship. We'll be exploring other opportunities to start new faith communities through our church. Um, it's exciting to know that our worship attendance is beginning to recline again as well. Uh, we received a letter from our bishop earlier uh, this year, just two months ago, uh, acknowledging that Lighthouse's worship attendance has grown by 9% so far this year, which is a great thing, which is exciting for us. It's got to be one of those six things that we are focused on. It's kids, students, missions, life groups, next steps, worship. Read with me. Kids. Students, missions, life groups, next steps, worship. Say it again. Kids, students, missions, life groups, next steps, worship. I want to get that in your head because going forward, you're going to be hearing a lot about this because this is going to be the strategic focus of our church going forward. We've got to be aware of these things. And that also means that we're going to have to make some hard decisions about things that we don't do. If they don't fit into these categories, if they don't go back to our mission statement of reaching, making Christ followers who change the world, we're going to have to stop doing some things in order to allow other things to, to grow. Now, part of what I want to invite you to do is just to, to refresh, to remember every person matters. Each one reach one. Our strategic focus is kids, students, missions, life groups, next steps, and worship. Now, when I got sidelined uh, last year, uh, one of the things that happened as a result of that was because I oversee the area of strategic planning, that got put on hold. And I'm just here to make you aware that our strategic planning team will be getting together again very soon by Easter. I trust that we will have a presentation ready for you to talk about the next steps of our church. Our church, uh, there's been lots of discussions. Maybe you remember back when our Joel team, when Chuck Fielding presented our Joel team's results from all the work that we did at the meeting from 2015, 
that the next step in our uh, master plan, let's throw the master plan up there, that the next step in our master plan would be to add a building behind this building. That would be a gymnasium for students and that kind of thing. There's been conversations about trying to put in a splash pad at Lighthouse. Our strategic planning team will be looking at all these options, and we'll have a report to bring to you before Easter of next year. Also, one of the things that is really cool, if you look at this plan, you see a little gray line. If you look at the right side of that picture, the easiest way to see it, there's a little gray line next to the building. That's actually like a walking trail around our property. Uh, because of the efforts of Norbert Grimelski, largely, who's a part of our church family, Norbert is a rabid bicycler, okay? And when I say a rabid bicycler, what I mean is he's a guy that gets on a bike and rides down all these crazy trails and is trying to kill himself in the process, all right? And Norbert, along with a little team, Annie Ham is one of them, uh, th they have developed a trail that is already in existence on our property. And that blue line outlines the trail. It's a mile-long trail that has already been cut, has already been cleared. Uh, I got a uh, text from Norbert yesterday. He was out here riding his bike. It looked like, because the, the, the report that I get uh, when you get on your app, it shows you how the trails. It looked like he, he rode this trail about 15 times yesterday. Um, but it, it's already in existence, and it's something that, that we're passionate about because it becomes a place where the community can come on our property and, and, and find out, hey, this church might be an okay place to go because they provided me a place to exercise. So we have to adopt this each one, reach one mentality. We've got to love the lost. We've got to love unconventionally. We've got to hope in Jesus. We've got we to be humble, and we've got to get in the game. We got to get in the game. You and I have to be in the game together. Let me say to you, friends, as clearly as I can, this whole get in the game thing, this whole investing in what God is doing here is about saying that, that we've got to recognize that it's not okay to sit back and, and just absorb and soak in the things of Lighthouse. It's not okay to just do that. The soaking and, 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 and receiving is about nurturing your life so that you can invest in somebody else, each one, reach one. We've got to get away from this mentality of thinking that the church is here to serve me. No, the church is not here to serve me. The church is here to serve those people who are out there who don't know who Jesus is. We've got to be equipped to do that and invest in that. Chrissy and I have started into our 30th year here. And, and it is amazing to think about it. But one of the things that I raise to your attention when I talk about that is too often I've heard people say, I like our church the way it is. I like our church the size it is. And how many times have I said to you, it's not okay for us to have that perspective. It's not okay for us to say that the seven out of ten cars that are driving by here on Sunday morning filled with people who don't know Jesus, it's not okay for us to say to God, hey, God, we don't care about those people. They don't matter. I like my church the way it is. I like my church the size it is. Friends, we have to continue to change. It must happen. We have to be invested in changing ourselves and this church for this community and for this world. Let me ask you this way. Do you believe in God? Do you believe that God sent his one and only son for you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he died on the cross? Do you believe that he rose from the dead three days later? Can you say amen? amen? And that 50 days later after that, the Holy Spirit was given to the church. Do you believe that as well? Friends, if, if you believe there is a God, 
If you believe that Jesus is God's son and that the Holy Spirit has been sent just for you, there's no excuse for us to sit back and pretend like everything is fine as long as I don't have to be involved in it. Friends, there is too much at stake because heaven is a real place and the only way you get into heaven is through the person of Jesus Christ. Are you in the game? Or are you going to stay on the sidelines? Each one, reach one. On August the 11th, 1970, a lot of you weren't even born then. But that was the day that at the Kennedy Space Center, the Apollo 13 was launched. And you know the story because it was made into a movie. Maybe you've seen the movie about Apollo 13. It was the third planned mission to the moon. Two have already been accomplished. The third one launched, Apollo 13. The second day of their launch as they're headed to the moon, the, one of the oxygen canisters explodes, ruptures, damages the, the support module, uh, and they had to cancel their plan getting to the moon. They went around the moon, came back, a lot of damage to the service module. One of the big concerns was, did the explosion damage any of the heat shield that's on the command module so that when they would return, would they be able to survive the reentry into the atmosphere? And so I want to share with you a little clip from the movie Apollo 13 that chronicles what happened uh, that day when the spacecraft, the command module, is headed back to Earth, entering reentry. Let's watch and listen right now. 35 seconds to entry interface. Gentlemen, it's been a privilege flying with you. Expect to regain signal in three minutes. Okay, flight, that's three minutes. We are standing by for acquisition. Odyssey, Houston, do you read me? Odyssey, this is Houston, do you read? I think the video illustrates two points. The first one is, what does heaven look like when somebody accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior? I, I think all that clapping and cheering is what happens in heaven. Clearly, the Bible says that. Jesus said when that one 
sheep was found, there was more rejoicing in heaven over that one than the 99 that were already in. More rejoicing in that one. Can you imagine? When you and I invest in each one, reaching one, when somebody finally says yes to Jesus, that everybody in heaven stops. And they erupt into clapping and cheering, and they're all going, Woo-hoo! Go God! Because one person accepted Jesus. I believe that's what heaven is like. I also believe that that aptly illustrates the power of what happens when people work together toward a common cause. That if we as a church can, can get zeroed in on, honed in on these six particular areas and, 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 and stop doing some of the other stuff, that, that lives are going to be changed tremendously because of the power of Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you today, as I conclude, to receive a challenge, to say, hey, are you somebody that really is committed to each one reaching one? every single day. Are you really committed to that? That's really what matters. Each one, reach just one. Plant a seed. Do some watering. Help somebody find out who Jesus really is because of you and what, what your, your person is and, and who you are impacting other people's lives. Each one, reach one. Kelly's going to sing a wonderful song right now that's called, guess what? Each one, reach one. And while she sings, I want to ask you to pray. Doesn't matter if you're five years old or 50 years old or 90 years old. All of us should be praying, God, use me to reach one. Will you use me to reach one? Would you have the audacity? Would you have the boldness today to make that your prayer? I want to reach one. I pray that as Kelly sings, as you are ministered to by this song and the words of it, because the words will be up on the screen, that you would pray, God, help me. Use me to reach one.